So we've been uh, looking at the various methods, <laughs> various methods for uh, uh, offsetting the asavas, overcoming them, eradicating them, uh, and we've looked so far at seeing and developing, and restraining and using and enduring, and now I just want to look at these last two: uh, avoiding and removing. And these are, these are a mouthful. And I think you'll see as we talk about them that you're already working with these as well in the same way that we have before. So here's what the scripture says. Um, reflect, th- this one's particularly interesting, I think. <laughs> it gives you a little get, bit, bit of a giggle here. Um, reflecting wisely, one avoids a wild elephant, a wild horse, a wild bull, a wild dog, a snake, a stump, a bramble patch, a chasm, a cliff, a cesspit, a sewer. Reflecting wisely, one avoids sitting on unsuitable seats, wandering to unsuitable resorts, and associating with unsuitable friends. While taints, vexation, and fever might arise in one who does not avoid these things, there are no taints, vexation, or fever in one who avoids them. So, uh, you know, you might read that first part and say, well, don't we know this? <laughs> I think I, I know not to get in the path of a wild elephant, you know. But apparently not. Uh, I, I, looked, <laughs> I, looked into, I looked into what was going on here with this and uh, found some interesting uh, sources that uh, say that, that the basis, uh, you know, for the advice of the Buddha was that... Um, while it's a bit sketchy, that one source at least said that at the time of the Buddha there were some monks who did some crazy, pretty crazy things, and like <coughs> they would um, test their metta uh, by practicing near dangerous animals. You know, I, I think I'll test my metta. I, I'll go into the lion's den and and see if my metta holds up. I mean, that's the sentiment here. Or, or test their equanimity by sitting on the edge of cliffs or. Um, sitting in, a, in an cesspool. I, you know, and, and I read that stuff and I go, well, I don't know, but given, if you've ever looked at some of the passages in the Vinaya, you know, some of the passages are pretty far out. A lot of the rules got established because of some of the crazy things the, the early practitioners did, you know. And, uh, I mean, there was this, this one story uh, where, the, where the Buddha taught the... 32 parts of the body meditation, you know, as a way of overcoming lust in, in the heart. And as a result, uh, quite a number of, of monks went off into the forest and killed themselves. They got so disgusted with their bodies, you know, and it's pretty, I mean, it sounds crazy to us, but I, I think we can safely assume that they kind of missed the point of that practice. <laughs> it's not an understatement to do that. But uh, early practitioners often misunderstood it. I don't know, there's something about that that I, I can laugh about it, but I also feel like, well, that actually makes me feel better, you know, because it takes a while to understand these things, what he's getting at here. And that's just an aside, really. But whether or not the Buddha is just is trying to correct these kinds of uh, foolishness, or uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the, the the sentiment here is offering some very sound advice, very common sense advice around practice. You know, basically, don't do stupid practice. You know, be be smart about it. Use your common sense. Figure these things out for ourselves. And and primarily, I think it's saying to avoid uh, dangerous uh, places dangerous people, distracting people, people who are going to uh, pull us into the asavas in one way or another. And that's, you know, that's uh, 
pretty sound advice. So the admonition here is just to avoid all those things that are, that are likely to pull us into any kind of unskillful action through body, speech, and mind. So there's a number of things that are very specifically pointed to in the classical teachings. Um, and one uh, of these has to do with being scrupulous in keeping the precepts. And, and I love that reminder. There's, there's one, um, uh, just a pithy little teaching in one of the commentaries that says, uh, avoid anything that compromises what they call the three-pointed purity, which is uh, not breaking a precept oneself, uh, not causing another person to break a precept, and not approving of any breach of a precept. Oh, don't worry about that. That's okay. You know, that kind of thing. Not, not, not falling into that kind of thing. And, and I like this. I like these little short pithy lists like this because they're easy to remember. They, they stay on the front burner in the mind. And they, I don't know, I, I sort of, when I sit with that, it, it just reminds me of the, the kind of person I want to be. You know, it serves to uh, keep us focused on that. Uh, keep us focused on the skillful behavior that we want to be able to exhibit. There's a sutta in, in the Anguttara Nikaya where um, the Buddha asks, you know, what sort of person is a worthy person? And, and it clearly states that a worthy person or a worthy friend, somebody to look for in friendship, is uh, somebody who keeps the precepts and encourages us to keep the precepts. And I love that. You know, it's like, it's like uh, align ourselves with people of like mind. There's, a, there's sort of an unwritten undercurrent in here, sort of an admonition, I think, that, that this is not done in a self-righteous way. You know, this is not done as a, I've got it right and you've got it wrong kind of thing. We, we want to basically focus on our own practice, not on other people's practice. And that's the, the undercurrent in all of this. Because if you've ever, if you've hung around Buddhist centers enough, you, you know, there's nothing more annoying than the karma police, you know, and, and you do, you get people like this, you know, who uh, or go like, ah, <laughs> you know, this kind of stuff, and, and it's, it's uh, that's not the, the sentiment here, you know, it's a, it's a much more mature uh, approach or response to this, and I, I think maybe for me, one of the things that um, has helped me is another sutta called inference uh, in, in this regard, where if I see behavior that is clearly um, transgressions of the precepts. And, uh, and I don't have the agreement with that person to go in and say something, you know, and that's huge. <laughs> that's, a, that's a rare arrangement, you know, partnerships maybe, and, and maybe uh, if there's a, some kind of ceremonial agreement on that level with communities, then okay. But, uh, you know, you just don't want to go stomping in uh, where you're not invited in this regard. So the sutta on inference, I think, is very helpful, where uh, basically what you do is you observe the behavior, and you notice how you feel in the presence of that behavior. And then you infer from that, basically, like, wow, if I feel like this when they're behaving that way, then if I was to behave like this, other people would feel like this. You know, so so that's that kind of keeps the, the guard on, keeps the guard up around these kinds of behaviors. And one one time when I was at the monastery, I think it was the first time that I was there, um, 
I was um, engaging in some pretty incorrect speech. You know, there was a fellow there at the monastery who uh, everybody was ganging up on. Nobody liked him. He was just kind of coarse and gruff and difficult to be with and uh, loud and, and things like this. And, and so um, some of the lay people had taken to some unskillful speech as, you know, kind of water cooler talk. You know, it's not, not very nice, but there it is. Uh, and it does happen. And um, I remember I was working in the kitchen with a novice monk, and uh, I started to, to uh, try to engage him in this speech. Of, you know, like, like, we'll do that. We gang up on the ones we don't like, you know. And, and, uh, and, and so I said, you know, no, 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 And he just um, went, hmm. And so I tried it again. You know, I just went, nah, you know, we don't like him, do we? Uh, that kind of thing. And uh, he just uh, deflected the attention or just went, hmm, again, and just just didn't pick it up. You know, and, and, and then you're left standing there with this black gunk all over you. you know, it's, like, it's like spitting in the wind. You put it out there and it doesn't, nobody picks it up, you know. It's very, very helpful to be around people who don't pick it up, you know. <laughs> And I remember thinking, like, oh, that's how you do it. <laughs> you don't participate in harm. You know, you just don't do that. And, and I think that's what he's pointing to here. You know, that's the, the admonition here. It's not um, any kind of self-righteousness. It's, it's not like right and wrong. It's a, it's a participation in goodness, a non-participation in harm. So that's one thing that they talk about as far as avoiding is concerned. Um, and the second thing is avoiding getting uh, caught up in the hindrances. Well, you know, that's, that's a mouthful too, isn't it? Um, there's a, and one thing that I, uh, I'm trying to pick out the kernels, the things that I have found most helpful through the years. And in this instance, there's, uh, there's a sutta in the uh, Bojanga Samyutta. There's a, you know, if you know it, the Samyutta Nikaya's collections of uh, teachings around particular themes. And the Vajanga Samyutta is the, around the theme of the uh, factors of awakening. Uh, and so there's a, sutta, a couple of suttas in there where they're, they're talking about the nutriment, the things that feed the factors of awakening, and the things that feed the five hindrances. right? And, and uh, what, it's, what it's saying is that um, you want to be alert to um, the early signs, like pick up on the cues of the things that are the, the lure, if you will, or the early signs of, of uh, uh, being pulled into one of the hindrances. And this is, this is, I found this particularly helpful because it, we're always often coming in on it after it's all over. You're in a full-blown mental hindrance and, and you, you know, it's, it's not that it's too late. You can certainly do something about that. But, you know, just anything that can back it up a little bit and, and try to pick up on the early signs um, uh, is very, very helpful because you can exercise uh, restraint a little bit more easily when the, the full push of the, of the karmic uh, weight of that particular pattern you know, hasn't worked up a full head of steam yet, you know. And, and so uh, they give a, 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 summar, a, a summary of the early signs for each of the hindrances. And um, I, I found this very helpful. Uh, here's just to, just to give you a few ideas. Uh, 
with sense desire. They say that the early sign of that and what you want to be on the lookout for is beauty or the things that you find attractive. You know, the, the things that uh, um, one is, is attracted to, uh, pleasant, uh, the pleasure that's associated with sensory contact. And, uh, and just try to be sensitized to that. You know, especially if you're a person that um, gets lured by pleasure easily. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you, just to practice with that can be very, very helpful. And when I learned about this, that's what I did. I went, because my mind is very, very greedy. It just, it just moves from pleasure to grabbing very quickly, you know. Uh, and so I, would, uh, I wanted to become, to see what they were talking about. What's the early sign, you know? At first it didn't even, I didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, and so I, would do, I, I did a couple of things, but one was um, I, I would go to um, museum shops, which are my favorite places, you know, where everything in there <laughs> wants to go home with me, you know, there's no, there's no question about it, whether it's posters or jewelry or cards or everything, you know, like, and, and just try to be in that context, and, and the, the, the rule is you can't buy anything, you know, nothing's going to go home with you, you can't have any of it. All you can do is notice the, um, the beauty and, um, and, and try to offset the desire, offset the sense desire uh, for that object. And it, it proved to be a fabulous uh, experience, and, and one that actually, in a way, um, delighted uh, the pleasure, it made the pleasure escalate, you know, because it was, uh, you, you, you end up appreciating everything. You know, when, when you're not going into having to grab it. So it would be like, ah, oh, so wonderful. And just ride the wave of that. It's great. Let it, let it fill you. It's very, very pleasant. And then, then it's gone, you know. And, and it's also a great inroad to seeing the impermanent nature of things. You know, but, but just, to, just to become sensitized to, oh, <laughs> and, and leave it there. With ill will, it says that the early sign is irritation. And this means being, being attuned to the early signs of irritation, the things that we find unattractive. Um, catching it right there. You know, just try to, trying to be more attuned. If you can get a sense of this, this is really pointing to um, the Vedana. You know, just being tuned much more to Vedana, to the feeling tone of things. Um, and say, say, like perhaps you find certain behaviors unattractive. You know, so often on retreats, like people coming late to the hall, or you know, if you're if you're one of the dishwashers and they don't bring their dishes in, you know, that's oh, why, why don't they bring that in? You know, and just to kind of hold that there uh, instead of um, lashing out or like getting it in, into a full blown state of ill will, but just holding it in a place where. This is very unpleasant to, to be on the receiving end of, of um, maybe a, in consideration. You know, it's unpleasant. It doesn't feel good. <sighs> like that, just right there, just to 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 let it stay there. And it, it, when we turn to dukkha in this way, what you're doing is actually turning to dukkha. Then the the ill will is, is offset. You know, or or it doesn't get up a full head of steam. It's just an unpleasant, imperfect, inconsiderate moment. 
there's going to be a lot more in life, you know. We just want to get used to that and stay with it. So, so you get the picture. This is kind of what they're pointing to. With, with sloth and, and drowsiness, the, it says the early signs are boredom or yawning, weariness, drowsiness after a meal, sluggishness of awareness, these kinds of things, where you just start to become attuned to that, that where the mind is just starting to drift into that. And sometimes just noticing that one in particular is very, very helpful. It's enough to make the whole thing dissipate. It's quite startling to turn with a high degree of interest and attention to a state like sloth. And it's almost like the two things can't coexist. You know, sloth and interest, <laughs> they, can't, they can't really coexist. And one of them is going to go poof, and it can be the sloth. And, you know, with restlessness and anxiety, they say that the early signs are the mind flitting, a non-stillness of the mind, like a caffeinated mind, you know, flitting around. And with doubt, the early signs are just beginning to notice the kinds of things that, the way the commentaries state it is, seeing the kinds of things that act as a foothold for doubt. And, and that will be different for all of us. Um, you know, some, uh, some that come to mind right away would, would be like, if there is a tendency towards um, self-denigration, then when things aren't going well, it's like, I can't do it. You know, but this, everybody else can do it, but I can't do it. That kind of uh, thought will come into the mind very easily. Or if, if things are unclear, uh, or if you tend to be impatient, you know, I was talking to a gal at the Forest Refuge last month, and she kept saying, almost every time she reported, she, she says, I don't see where this is going. <laughs> you know? and, we, and we talked about that. As a, you could feel it. It was like, a, I want to see results. I want to know what's happening. I want to, you know. And, and, and this is very common. We're a very impatient society. You know, it, it's, you've got to have instant results, instant food, instant everything. And um, it's, it's something that you see very commonly with practice, is, or, or with a lot of things, just not staying with something long enough to actually see uh, the fruits, to see results, so that the faith can build, so that you can know from our own experience that indeed it's working. And these kinds of thoughts, I don't see where it's going, or uh, I can't do it, they're going to obstruct that. <laughs> You know, you, you, you won't see where it's going, <laughs> even if it's right in your face, if you've got that kind of pattern of, of thought. So, and, and in this one, I think it's interesting. It's, it's really no um, accident, I think, that the, the practice and the teachings just really encourage uh, opening to not knowing. You know, that, that, uh, that uh, experience of, of uh, uncertainty, uh, not knowing not being clear, and allowing that in. <laughs> you know, because that's the baseline for finding out. That's, that's the, the context or the environment in which um, interest is born. Investigation comes out of that. So I don't know. If you're okay with not knowing, you see, can you feel that? It's like, if, you, if it's, I don't know, and, and you're annoyed with that, then it's, you're, you're going down the road of doubt and confusion. But if you're okay with not knowing, then um, you, 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 the interest in finding out bubbles up. 
And this is very important. So opening to things that are not being clear uh, or being uncertain uh, also opens us to um, uh, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self. You'll, you'll see them much more easily and clearly if one is uh, okay with not knowing. So, and, you know, if we move into the hindrances, then we miss the opportunities for those kinds of insights. You know, it, it's just not going to happen. There, well, I came to see them a number of years ago as really the hindrances and the asavas and all these difficult states as really the, the unawakened mind's uh, best guess as to what to do about difficulty, about dukkha, about things being uncertain. You know, it, you don't know, so, or, or, so um, worry or get agitated. You know, that's, that's, the, that's what this unawakened mind throws up as a solution. You know, it's nuts, but it does. And, and uh, you know, we've, we want to be able to see that. Uh, it, it's the unawakened mind's best guess as what, what to do about anicca, dukkha, and anatta. You know, try to, try to um, force uh, issues. So none of, those, none of these responses brings any kind of lasting uh, happiness or lasting clarity into the system. So our, obviously our task then is to see these early signs and one of the biggest help you have, greatest help you have in that is just to be uh, quiet, <laughs> be still, be calm internally and even externally. And, and just to um, be attentive to the places where you get pulled in. So, you know, if it's like uh, around um, just knowing that uh, it's mealtime and, and pausing for a moment, you know, so, ah, oh, it's mealtime. There's going to be a lot of great smells. There's going to be a great uh, sights. There's going to be great flavors, you know. Let me just settle down enough so that it doesn't get to be a frenzy, <laughs> you know. I don't um, um, go in there <clears throat> unguarded. Or if there's a, 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 a busy time, you know, a lot of busyness, a lot of coming and going, or, or things like that. Or, like I said, the people coming to the hall and not bringing their dishes. Just really noticing that these are going to... If it's time for me to do the dishes, and people consistently don't bring their dishes in. I, I, I can know that um, it's likely that this is going to be uh, the conditions for the arising of some irritation. <laughs> Let me just take a deep breath, relax, <laughs> get ready because it's coming. <laughs> and, and you know, you know what I'm saying? I'm sure you know what I'm saying. It, it, it helps tremendously. You know, it's a, it's a simple teaching. Look for the early signs, but the, the implications. I think what they're getting at here is very, very helpful stuff. So, and it's, it may sound obvious, and and you might even dismiss it. But I think the question here is: Do we do it? <laughs> do we actually uh, take these kinds of uh, simple techniques and and apply them? Do we look at the, our moment-to-moment experience with this kind of scrutiny and precision? can be very, very helpful. And um, this also, I think, points to the need to know our particular tendencies. And uh, we're, we all know what they are. You know, what, 
uh, in the Vasudhi Marga, I mean, they talk about the, being a greedy type, a health, hateful type, a deluded type, you know, where he says, he's saying, Buddha goes to saying that there's, you're predominantly uh, one or another. And um, I have to be honest, I never liked that teaching particularly, you know. I, I think there's something a little bit off in that, or, or let's, let's just say it throws up yellow flags for me when I hear that, because there's, there's something that's very potentially very helpful about that. If, in fact, you're taking that and knowing that, yeah, I tend to be really greedy, and so I want to be on the lookout for situations where that might come up. That can be helpful. But the, the danger, as I'm sure you've, you know, you've seen, is that you get, you get locked into uh, an identity around these dominant states. So I, I have found it very helpful in, in recent years just to, again, take it back, to, take it out of the mind state and take, <coughs> take it back to the feeling level that induces that mind state and, and relate to it from there. And, and what I mean by this, in, instead of saying that I'm a greedy person, say, like, frame it more like um, uh, my mind selectively attends to pleasure. <laughs> It, it, it tends to notice pleasure. That way, you're not um, off. You're not. You're not uh, eliminating the possibility of all the rest of it. You know, or instead of being a hateful type, you know, my mind selectively attends to pain. I, I notice pain more than anything else. I notice when there's difficulty. You know, or or with uh, delusion. You know, my mind selectively attends to not much happening. And so I tend to drift <laughs> and check out, you know. I don't know, it's a, it's a minor, perhaps a minor tweaking, but I have found it very helpful, so I, I pass it on to you, because you're, you're, you're paying much closer attention than to feeling. <clears throat> and, and as we were diagramming on the board and all that, feeling is, is the kicking off point. It's where the action is. It's the... The, the, the point where um, uh, one goes into suffering or not. And so the idea is to stay with the pleasure, pain, and neither. <clears throat> and so one, one last thing on the uh, working with, the, um, uh, with avoiding. Um, in the commentary on the Satipatthana Sutta, where they're looking at that bit in the fourth foundation of mindfulness with, uh, about the hindrances and working effectively with the hindrances, um, they list uh, in the commentary a bunch of antidotes for the hindrances, which is a, a very helpful thing to, to look at. But uh, what stands out for me is that one, two things are common to all the hindrances, antidotes to all of the hindrances. Um, and, and this is all in the interest of avoiding the hindrances, right? And, and one is um, suitable conversations. And, and that is uh, avoiding conversations that draw us into the hindrances. So that's what that, le- that novice monk was doing with me. You know, I was trying to draw him in to some uh, unkind speech. Uh, and then the other is a noble friendship. And, and I love that one. Keeping the company of people who aren't greedy, who aren't hateful, who aren't deluded, who aren't restless, who aren't confused. You know, keeping being around that kind of person. It's not what we gravitate to. <laughs> you know, if you ever want to, you know, be unkind, 
you know, you find somebody to be unkind with, you know. That, that's what you find, you seek out the people who will match that. Uh, and so this is saying, go the other way. You know, seek out either the opposites or the people who aren't that way. And I think it's interesting that in the, um, I learned so much going to the monasteries, and one of the things that they do on a, um, every fortnight, they have uh, confessions, and they have to pair up with each other, and they, uh, they, they, the idea is just to articulate um, the, any transgressions, so that they're conscious, and so that they're public, so that you're not hiding from yourself, you're not hiding from the community, in this sense. And it's uh, maybe hard to do, perhaps, but also, as they report, just very, very helpful. You know, you, know, you can hide from yourself all you want, but uh, you know, uh, not hiding from the community is a big step. Uh, but interestingly, if you have a transgression, you can't pair up and confess it to somebody who does the same thing. <laughs> oh, you, who you know to do the same thing or have the same problem. It's interesting to consider why, right? It's like, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and not really get the hit that you need, you know, to, to move beyond it. So just looking a, a little bit at avoiding, and uh, you know, my sense is that what I've seen in myself and other people too is that, you know, early on in practice, we tend to um, try to maneuver out of and avoid uh, the asavas, the hindrances, all these difficult states, because we're following the advice of other people. You know, they say, "Oh, this is what you do. This is what the Buddha said to do. This is what my teacher said to do. Do it that way," uh, and and, uh, and because we want the suffering to stop. Yeah, certainly. Um, and we may even be doing it a lot because self-view is really strong still. Um, you may even be doing it because uh, you think it's bad or you think it's wrong. You know, that kind of evaluation may still be in the mind. But over the years, as you mature with this kind of practice um, and just learn to stand back and, and look more objectively at the patterns that we see in ourselves, increasingly this avoiding uh, happens because we've seen the harm. And it starts to get really deep in there, doesn't it? You know, you, you, just, uh, you just don't go to places uh, that you've seen um, hurt yourself or hurt other people. It, it, it starts to diminish uh, just by paying attention and working with these methods too. I mean, don't you, don't you find that to be true? I mean, over the years of practice that... Um, you're keeping the precepts, uh, avoiding the hindrances, and uh, just keeping the company of good people, because you see the value of it. <laughs> you know, it's it's not an idea; it's it's something that goes uh, very deep. So this is all skillful working with uh, avoiding. So this last one, removing. Um, also very interesting. And here's what he says. Reflecting wisely, one does not tolerate an arisen thought of sense-desire. One abandons it, removes it, does away with it, and annihilates it. One does not tolerate an arisen thought of ill-will. One does not tolerate an arisen thought of cruelty. One does not tolerate arisen, uh, unwholesome thoughts. One abandons them, removes them, does away with them, and annihilates them. 
It's like, wow. <laughs> While taints, vexation, and fever might arise in one who does not remove these, there are no taints, vexation, or fever in one who removes them. So just reading that text, you know, you, you, might, you might think that uh, they're prescribing some kind of all-out attack. You know, it, it feels that way. And, uh, and yet, um, if you look through the suttas and, and various places where the Buddha is talking about uh, how to work with uh, difficult states, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a whole host of strategies, uh, a variety of strategies that uh, some are very forceful, some very gentle, uh, and so we, we want to know that. I, I don't. I think that the language in this is simply a, a very um, strong way to express the urgency of getting out of harm's way. You know, getting out of uh, difficult states. And so, uh, you know, for me, it, what I've seen through the years is that a lot of practice is just—it's kind of like knowing when to uh, stay there and feel it, and. Um, knowing when to kind of get out of the way, you know, get, get out of Dodge, that kind of thing. And, and just you learned this um, two years of practice, just trying different approaches and uh, uh, seeing what works uh, under what circumstances. And when you're, you're kidding yourself, you know, when it's time to just really get out of there, or stop uh, messing around. You think you're investigating, but you're actually indulging it, you know. And so there's, there's two suttas that are the most uh, famous in the, um, t- in the Majjhima Nikaya for uh, removal. Uh, one of them, I think, is in your source book. Um, and, and it's called The Removal of Distracting Thought. Uh, and it's, it, it's a, fabulous, uh, a fabulous teaching, uh, where it's, it's one of those suttas that's a progression. It, the Buddha basically outlines five things to do when uh, you're caught in... Uh, difficult states and, and, and uh, it's a progression so that you try this, if that doesn't work try this, if that doesn't work, try this it's one of those kinds of suttas uh, and so um, you know, that's, and that's true and I, I think that's basically often how it's taught but I think there's also a sense uh, that each of us because of the way our minds work um, has a certain proficiency in working with things in certain ways, and and you just get attuned to that, you know. Like somebody's mind might be very investigative, and so they're uh, they really want to slow things down and look into it. Another might be very very strong in metta, and so it's very easy to muster up the metta that's needed in the presence of a will or something like that. So you just sort of get a sense of it um, th- uh, through the years of practice. And so here's, um, here's what, uh, just a brief summary of these, these five. Um, we're using them all the time. You, I'm sure when I go through this list, you'll recognize all of it. You know, it's, it's all methods that we're adopting. Uh, so the first one is to replace. And sometimes we replace the unskillful with the skillful. And the image the Buddha uses is you, you, if you want to get a, a peg out of a hole, you hammer another peg into it, you know, and push it out, push that one out. Um, and and uh, so that can be very, very helpful, especially if there's a lot of ill will in the mind. Uh, and sometimes you reflect, uh, and that, what he's saying here is that 
you think about, you just pause for a moment, and this happens quite naturally. You, go, you know, you, you think about the last time you did it and the consequences of that. You know, and, and I've even had the thought in moments like this where it's like, you know, okay, you can do it if you want, but there's going to be hell to pay. You know, <laughs> you know where this goes. <laughs> this is, this is, you know this one, and maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. But that, it's that kind of pause that slows it down a little bit. Uh, sometimes we turn our attention to something else, which is very, very skillful thing to do. It's be like a, a parent uh, if a child is playing with something dangerous. You know, you, say, oh, no. you know, you don't say no, don't. You just turn the, give them something else <laughs> to play with. You know, turn the attention to to something else. Uh, sometimes we slow it down, and and. Um, this is the, that method that I'm sure you've all done, where you, you freeze frame, and you go, okay, no, wait a minute. How in the heck did I get here? You hold it, and you go back. Well, the, there was that image, and I didn't like it, and da-da-da. You, know, you, you can reverse the chain of dependent origination and see how you got into a state of, uh, of craving by going back to the contact and the feeling level, seeing how it happened. And this can be very, very. This is this is essentially investigating okay, that that dhamma vichaya, uh, factor of awakening. And and then uh, the the last one, the, the fifth one, this is kind of like when all else fails. Uh, you, you go in for the kill. <laughs> Basically, what the what the Buddha says here is beat it down. And this is the language of the sutta, with teeth clenched with tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth. <laughs> we push down the thoughts, squeeze out the state of mind using brute force. And so sometimes that's absolutely the appropriate thing to do. But, uh, at least if you believe the progression aspects of this teaching, it's the last resort. You know, you don't go there uh, first. So it's a very useful teaching. You know, replace, reflect, uh, turn the attention to something else, slow it down, beat it down. <laughs> uh, one of those five has got to do the trick, <laughs> and it's just worth worth of our worthy of our attention. And uh, there's a whole lot to it. There's a lot written about it too. So uh, it's one of those suttas that um, one of the um, Buddhist Publication Society uh, little booklets has been written about this, and uh, others have done uh, commentaries on it. So uh, that's, a, that's sort of the, uh, the primary teaching here. Uh, but uh, across the board, uh, you also have to know that um, the, uh, another primary method for removing is uh, the um, practicing with the foundations of mindfulness. That the, the, the more that we develop a state of non-attachment towards uh, sensations, feelings, and thoughts, and all of the the moods and the mind states that are listed in the, in the foundations of awakening, or foundations of mindfulness, then um, uh, the, the more non-attachment we develop as we work with that. Basically what that sutta is saying is be able to see what's happening in the body and in the mind and train the mind to leave it at that. To stop uh, building a world around what is a momentary contact 
And so you know, what this does over time, I know I've been harping on this a little bit, but just to really help us to see that over time you are shifting the mode from grabbing what's happening in the body and mind to relating to it um, with some non-attachment, to standing back and seeing the activities of the body and mind. That's a very different posture. It's a very different state than being um, caught up in it. And, and gradually, and sometimes in a, what is a, a brutally slow process <laughs> uh, over years and perhaps lifetimes uh, of practice, um, we find ourselves uh, just uh, less and less likely to be glomming on to things that are unwholesome. You know, because of the, that position of standing back is the setup to feel the harm of grasping. And so little by little, uh, that, that, uh, these tendencies towards um, ill will, um, towards uh, sense desire and cruelty, are replaced, you know, slowly. They're, they're, they're getting bumped out by um, renunciation, harmlessness, and compassion. And that's the process that the foundations of mindfulness are doing. And, and it's not, not to be believed, but see, look and see. And isn't that indeed what's happening in your heart over the years of practice? And so uh, this, this shift is, is freely discussed in... Uh, that, the companion sutta to that one, the removal of distracting thought. And this one's called Two Kinds of Thought. And I love this one, because here's, here's the Buddha giving an account, basically, of how he uh, weighed different kinds of thought in his own mind. And, and he says that before his enlightenment, he divided thoughts into these two classes, thoughts of sense, desire, ill will, and cruelty, on the one hand, and thoughts of renunciation, harmlessness, and compassion on the other. And when he examined them, he saw that these thoughts led to uh, his own harm, to the harm of others, to the harm of both, took him away from nirvana, and that these thoughts did the opposite. You know? And so you, you almost see him sitting there with like scales, you know? <laughs> okay, well this one goes this way, and this one goes this way. And I don't think it's literal, but it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good image, you know, of how, what's going on in, in, like this, in lightning fast speed in the mind, when uh, we're confronted with the, the possibility of these two uh, extremes. Um, and so he said, but he says, when he considered thus, when he was able to consider thus, um, whenever uh, the unskillful thoughts arose in his mind, he was able to abandon them remove them, just completely turn away. And, and you know, I remember the first time I uh, read that or heard that, you know, the, the, the response was sort of like, well, yeah, that's easy for you, you know, you're the Buddha, you know. <laughs> but that then you go back and you read it, and um, he wasn't a Buddha. He's saying, before my enlightenment, this is what I did. And, to, and, and you know, you look at it that way, and to me, he's sharing with us this wonderful gift of his own process, his own practice, uh, how the, the, the heart, the mind, is becoming sensitized to these, these extremes and um, discerning, basically discerning where it wants to be. 
And this is, this is his process. This is how he did it. And he's aware of the state. He contemplates the suffering involved in the state. And um, through this, uh, the, the state is, is relinquished. Isn't that what we're doing? It's the same thing. It's not something uh, separate from what we're doing every minute that we're practicing. <laughs> I love that, because it, it, it makes it, to me, it makes it all very doable. It makes it uh, possible when I think about it this way. So, you know, just a, a final words of encouragement, really, um, to, to have uh, faith in, in the process. You know, the teachers all tell us that we need to have faith. And uh, at any given moment in time, in our practice, it, it, may, it may feel as if uh, not much is happening. Uh, but it is. And I know for myself, for a long time, I, I didn't believe that. You know, I uh, often had a lot of doubt that the same kinds of thoughts as the gal that I mentioned earlier. You know, I don't know where this is going, I don't know. Don't know if I can do it. This kind of thing. Who had, you know? Who hasn't had those kinds of, of thoughts? But uh, as the years of uh, uh, practice uh, go by, there's shifts. You know, and you begin to um, look at those. Look at the early years, perhaps as as maybe those years where we, we seem so foolish or so driven or so immature in, in practice. But they're all leading somewhere. <laughs> There's no regrets for any of it. It's all part of, very much, a part of the process. So all the, the restraining and the avoiding and uh, the overcoming and the enduring and the removing, all of this, all of the countless hours that we spend sitting on the cushion in, in daily life just being impinged upon <laughs> by our karma and the way that we um, are, are willing to receive that and to uh, work with that to the best of our ability at any time. It's all moving us in the direction of freedom. You know, we have to know that. Uh, what, what happens over the years is that you sort of endure um, the foolishness and the immaturity and the old ways, you know. You sort of just keep hanging in there and seeing yourself do the same things over and over again. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and still, you know, to me, sometimes it's amazing that we keep coming back for more. You know, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I, was, I used to ride the, ro- the roller coasters at this amusement park near us. They were a quarter at the time. You know, and, and you just, you paid with a quarter. You didn't have tickets. And we'd ride that thing and we'd just go, you know, screaming and oh, oh, why did I do this? Why did I do this? Get me off this thing! Get me off this thing! And then you come around and give a guy another quarter. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's what we're doing. That's what we do with practice. You know, it's like oh, why did I come on this retreat? You know, it's like oh, when can I sign up for the next one? <laughs> you know, you, you feel the pain, and gradually it, the, you, we just stop turning to it all. So, so all that we have to do is, uh, is pay attention and connect fully with experience. That sounds simple, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, granted, there's a lot of muck that has to get out of the way for us to even manage that. 
But as we wake up, it's as if the mind just doesn't go in that direction anymore. It it just just starts to... uh, It's like the the fields shift. (laughs) It doesn't want to go in the old way. It wants to go in the new way now. And you almost can get this feeling like you... It, when it starts to rise up and want to go in the direction of, of harm or unskillful or the asalas or the hindrances or however you want to frame that, um, there's like a uh, like the uh, the shields go up around the enterprise, you know, and nothing can <laughs> nothing can get in, you know. There's a, there's like a force field that protects us. And I bet you, I'm sure you felt that. You know, you, you 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 have these moments where you're about to say something hateful, and it, you can feel it rumbling up, and it gets this far, and it it goes in a different direction. It doesn't happen. You've seen that. It's just it's wild to watch, and and it's almost like you're not you're not even doing that. You just uh, uh, it's a fruit. It's the result. It's it's how the the whole system gets cleaned up. And it's all predicated on relaxing, paying attention, don't judge, don't criticize, <laughs> just hang in there. Mm-hmm. And little by little, the, the practice does itself, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll offer you this tonight for your reflection. I hope it's helpful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.